Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science. So, let's get started. Well, I hope you caught our show last week. It was the press conference held by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists that was held on January 23rd, 2020, about the resetting of the doomsday clock. Now, the doomsday clock is a metaphor for how dangerous of a time we humans are now living in. At this press conference, the doomsday clock was officially moved forward from two minutes to midnight, where it stood for the past two years, to now only 100 seconds to midnight. Listen to our show of February 10th, 2020, to hear the various scientists and experts on why we are living in the most dangerous time now since 1947, when the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists first instituted this clock. On today's episode, we want to broadcast the second part of this press conference, It's when three important public figures address the underlying issues behind the resetting of the doomsday clock. Nuclear weapons, climate change, and cyber-enabled information warfare. Today you'll hear from Mary Robinson, former president of Ireland and UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. Then Ban Ki-moon, former Secretary General of United Nations and also former South Korean foreign minister. And then finally, Jerry Brown, former governor of the state of California. Now, at this press conference, you'll hear a little bit about the Elders. Now, the Elders is a separate organization founded in 2007 by Nelson Mandela of South Africa. And the Elders are former public officials working independently now for peace, justice, and human rights. Both Ban Ki-moon and Mary Robinson are elders, but that honorarium also includes the like of Desmond Tutu, Jimmy Carter, and Kofi Annan. Now, once we hear the end of this press conference of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, we'll shift over to a commentary by Kentucky physicist and regular bench talk contributor, Professor J. Scott Miller. He is going to speak about the political and social ramifications of global climate change. But now, let's hear from Dr. Rachel Bronson, President and CEO of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Thank you to the Bulletin Science and Security Board. They will return to the dais shortly to take your questions. But as they exit the dais, I now welcome Ban Ki-moon, Jerry Brown, and Mary Robinson to the dais. Mary Robinson is the chair of the elders She served formally as the President of Ireland and as the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. Ban Ki-moon is the Deputy Chair of the Elders and served formerly as the UN Secretary General and Foreign Minister of South Korea. And Jerry Brown is the Executive Chair of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists and the former Governor of the State of California. To help us make sense of what can be done about what you just heard from the Science and Security Board, I now turn the microphone over to Dr. Mary Robinson. 
Thank you, Rachel, Governor Brown, Chair Bob Rosner, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of myself, Ban Ki-moon, and all the elders, it's a great honor to be here today for what can only be described as a solemn occasion. I must say, as I listened to the excellent but devastating presentation of the scientists, I felt more and more a strong personal reaction, the reaction of an angry granny. This is not acceptable. When Nelson Mandela founded the Elders in 2007, he spoke of the need to support courage where there is fear, foster agreement where there is conflict, and inspire hope where there is despair. I often recall these words, but rarely do they feel as important as they do today. The doomsday clock is a globally recognized indicator of the vulnerability of our existence. It's a striking metaphor for the precarious state of the world, but most frighteningly, as we have just heard, it's a metaphor backed by rigorous scientific scrutiny. This is no mere analogy. We are now 100 seconds to midnight, and the world needs to wake up. Our planet faces two simultaneous existential threats, the climate crisis and nuclear weapons. We're faced by a gathering storm of extinction-level consequences, and time is running out. The science of the climate crisis makes it imperative that we take urgent action in 2020. We need a change of mindset in politics, finance, business, and civil society, one that enables us to keep temperature rises at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius, whilst protecting the rights, dignity, and livelihoods of those affected by the shift to a carbon-neutral economy. Not to do so will be a death sentence for humanity. And yet, world leaders continue to ignore the science. International climate summits fail to reach agreement, and investment in the exploration and exploitation of fossil fuels continues to increase. Despite this dire picture of failing leadership and narrow self-interest, we can draw hope and inspiration from the young schoolchildren and activists who are striking under the banner Fridays for Future. Here in the United States, I've been hugely inspired by the way so many people from politics, business, labor unions, faith groups, women's and youth movements declared they were still in the Paris Accord, despite the federal administration's withdrawal, including, of course, uh, Governor Brown in California. However, whilst public pressure gives us a sliver of hope for our climate, the opposite is true on nuclear. As long as nuclear weapons remain in existence, it is inevitable that they will one day be used, whether by accident, miscalculation, or design. Yet the scale of a potential catastrophe and discussion on what could be done to de-escalate the risk of a nuclear war has been given a shockingly low amount of consideration by political decision makers, opinion formers, and the public. This is why the elders have proposed a nuclear minimization agenda that we believe would significantly contribute to reducing the threat of nuclear catastrophe. Our position is summed up by what we call the four Ds. Doctrine, every nuclear state should make an unequivocal no first use declaration. De-alerting, almost all warheads should be taken off high alert status. Deployment, substantially reduce the one quarter of all nuclear warheads that are currently operationally deployed. Decrease numbers, dramatically cut 
the number of nuclear weapons in existence. However, such proposals will never come to pass if we don't first defend and strengthen the nuclear arms controls that still exist. The elders believe this must begin with the United States and the Russian Federation negotiating the extension of New START, the only remaining bilateral agreement between these two nuclear superpowers without delay. I note that President Putin has explicitly said he is ready to do this. So I urge President Trump to respond in kind so both men can get down to business. They should recall and reiterate the declaration of their predecessors, Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev, that, and I quote, a nuclear war can never be won and must never be fought. These were pioneering words at the time, and the world needs to hear them again. Such a step would help create an environment for nuclear disarmament ahead of the Non-Proliferation Treaty Review Conference later this year and inspire other leaders to take similarly bold steps. Let such a nuclear detente be the way the world marks both the 75th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the 50th anniversary of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Let this year be the start of a new era of nuclear negotiations. Let's hope to return here in a year's time to reveal the hands on this clock are further from midnight than they are today. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Bond. Thank you, I'm Mary, and thank you to Governor Jerry Brown. It's a great pleasure to see you again. I thank you, Rachel Brunson, and all the distinguished members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists and distinguished guests, uh, media, and gathering here today. As our chair of the elders, Mary Robinson, has just said, it is also for me an honor to be here today to unveil the Doomsday Clock but with a solemn sense of duty and moral responsibility and also frightening sense of what is happening in this world without any governance infra I mean, structures of global disarmament of nuclear weapons. These are perilous times. The alarming rise in tensions in the Middle East threatens war. And the return to nuclear weapons development in Iran the world waits to see how North Korea will respond to stalled negotiations over the nuclear ambitions. In that regard, I'm just struck to hear the news released by North Korea that it would not be committed to previously made nuclear disarmament. This is a denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. This is again very, very surprising and shocking that North Korea is now officially made it happen on Tuesday. The situation in Kashmir between nuclear-armed Pakistan and India remains unpredictable and highly dangerous. Such tensions demands responsible global leadership. But instead of the last year, we have seen precisely the opposite. We have seen termination of the Intermediate Range <coughs> Nuclear Forces Treaty, division and uncertainty regarding the upcoming review conference of the NPT, and most worryingly, the absence of any meaningful negotiations between the United States and Russia to extend new start. It would send 
a deeply negative message to the world if a new start is allowed to expire in February next year, 2021. This would not only eliminate the remaining constraints on deployed nuclear arsenals, but also remove the monitoring and inspection capabilities, which have provided both sides with increased transparency regarding nuclear capability. On the Nuclear Proliferation Treaty, the elders believe the world must seize the opportunities presented by the review conference that begins in April. This treaty is the backbone of the multilateral consensus on nuclear arms control. And yet disagreement and frustrations between its signatories mean there is a significant risk that the conference could conclude without an agreed outcome like what had happened in 2015. That's a scenario that would undermine the treaty and could even trigger withdrawal by other member states. Alongside the potential expiry of a new start, there is a disastrous scenario for the world. It exemplifies the failures of global leadership and the weakness of the multilateral system in the face of isolationist politics that sees diplomacy as a zero-sum game rather than a means of finding common solutions to common challenges. At a time when world leaders should be focused on the clear and present dangers of nuclear escalation and the climate emergency, climate crisis, we are instead witnessing denial, disregard, and dangerous brinksmanship. The existential risk of climate change and nuclear war are increasing just as the decision-making frameworks to address them are unraveling from the Paris Agreement on Climate Change to the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, despondency of the non-proliferation treaty to impotency at the United Nations Security Council, our mechanisms for collaboration are being undermined when we need them most. To echo Mary Robinson, we must see urgent action on the climate crisis in 2020. All countries must come to COP26 in Glasgow in November with clear plans and strong commitment for delivering carbon net zero commitment by 2050. We must see an immediate end to the investment in and exploration of fuel fuels. We must heed the demands of the young people on our streets and listen to the science. We cannot negotiate with the nature. We also have to listen to the warning of nature. The United States must somehow begin to demonstrate global leadership at the federal level too. Without it, we cannot hope to meet the targets that will keep global warming to manageable levels. Without U.S. leadership and participation, there will be no winners from this climate crisis. We will all become losers. In the end, we will only overcome these existential threats by working together. And to do so, the world needs to re-energize multilateralism. I do believe there is an opportunity to this in this coming year. As a former Secretary General, I am deeply concerned by the fact that multilateralism is now under serious attack 
by those countries, particularly most powerful country, who has been playing global leadership based on this global governing framework, multilateralism, the United Nations, which is symbolized by this multilateralism. Ladies and gentlemen, 2020, this year, marks 75 years since the end of the Second World War and the birth of nuclear age, and indeed, the founding of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. It also marks, most importantly, 75th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations. This is an opportunity for the world leaders and citizens to renew its commitment to multilateralism. It is a time for world leaders to bring a new mindset with the global citizenship to the key moments ahead of us in 2020, to create the foundation for a just transition to carbon net zero economy and redouble the efforts towards a world free of nuclear weapons. We can overcome this existential threat we face, but we must act together. We must work together. There is not a single country or individual, however powerful, however resourceful one may be, can do it alone. We have to all our hands on deck. We have all worked together. And ladies and gentlemen, let, let us work to address these two existential threats, nuclear threat as well as climate crisis. Thank you. Thank you. Governor Brown. It's very hard to find the words even to express the moment we now are in. What you're hearing this morning is really the voice of prophets of doom. Speaking of danger and destruction is never very easy. If you speak the truth, people will not want to listen because it's too awful and it makes you sound like a crackpot. Our own president in front of the Davos businessmen of the world called out against what he called the prophets of doom. Now, he didn't particularize on what doom he was talking about, but I think back to the prophets of old, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah. They weren't listened either. Prophets are ones who don't necessarily know the future, but they warn of the danger that they see ahead. Today, we live in a world of vast, deep, and pervasive complacency. I'm not a scientist. I'm not officially one of the elders, although I'm getting up there. <laughs> uh, I'll be 82 in April. So let me speak from the position of someone who spent most of his life in politics. I've run for election more than most living human Americans. I've held a variety of offices. I've raised over $100 million from labor unions, from business groups, from rich individuals, from wherever I could find it. I have ceaselessly climbed the political ladder. I understand where we are, what that is. So I don't know about the science, but even if there's one in a hundred chances that these men and women before you are correct, then we are truly in a dangerous moment, but you would never know that from the president, from the Republican leadership, or even from the Democratic leadership. Talking about what we're talking about today is profoundly deviant to our contemporary culture. We're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to utter the truth about the power of mankind to destroy itself. So this is a very important moment. You who have a camera in your hand or a 
pencil in your hand or a computer, you have a chance to communicate the truth of this moment. How do we even find the words? I myself, I, I'm a person of uh, limitless words, but I, I can't find how to say it in such a way that it can be heard. What is being said this morning is not being heard. It's being ignored, it's being denied, and it's being belittled. Not by just right-wing Republicans, but by Democrats, by independents, by people of all walks of life. We are in a predicament because the power that mankind has generated is completely at variance with the seriousness with which it's understood or the extent uh, of which, by which people understand it. So that's why the clock has been moved forward 100 seconds before doomsday. Now people will say, well, what, you know, that's not serious. Well, the moment is serious. Tell me how else can we tell people where we're, where we're at? How else can we wake up the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents, the millionaires, the billionaires, the media owners who carry on their life as though it's the, they're on the Titanic about ready to hit an iceberg and they're not worried. Very few people are worried. I have never in my entire life heard a group of scientists and serious statespeople say what they've just said. So let us not let the moment pass. Each one of us can do something. As I was listening this morning, I was on the edge of discouragement. But we're not there yet. The world is not over. We have incredible opportunity to reverse the nuclear arms race, the carbon emissions, and the headlong rush to ever more dangerous technology. It's within human hands. Where we are uh, is not pointing us in the direction where we have to go. But this setting of the clock, this uh, ability on the part of people here and the people who will hear what we say today will have the potential to do something, to turn things around. We won't always be talking about news of the day, whatever the momentary tweet or uh, impeachment or all the other important things that need to be talked about. We will be able at some point, if we're lucky and if we all work together, to wake people up. This is the moment. If there ever was to wake up, it's now. And those who have to wake up are you. And I hope that not one person here feels any cynicism, complacency, or feeling that we're not in this predicament. We're in it. It's dire, but we're not there yet. We can still pull back from the brink. But we have to do what we're not doing. Whatever we've done to date, it is totally inadequate on nuclear, on climate, and on the other dangerous uh, technologies. We have to find a way to do more. We have to change the design of how we're behaving. When I say we, I mean people in this room. I mean Congress. I mean the campaign contributors. I've spent my life seeking the favor of these powerful people. I can tell you, most, most of them are totally ignorant blind and deaf to our predicament. So the task is wake up. Wake up, America. Wake up the world. It is 100 seconds before doomsday. Now let's hear from Professor J. Scott Miller about what the average voter can do to fight climate change. 
Now, Ford Radio doesn't take a stance on political issues, but we do believe that frank discussion is at the center of the democratic process, and that's what this episode is all about. Scott here. Another high was reached in 2019. According to independent analysis by NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, 2019 global surface temperatures were the second warmest since modern record-keeping. Only those in 2016 were higher, looking at records dating back to 1880. The temperatures were about 1.8 degrees warmer than a mean using the years 1951 to 1980. With the conclusion of the previous decade, that means that, as a whole, the decade was the warmest on record. This continues a trend going back to the 1960s, with each subsequent decade warmer than the one previous to it. Quoting Gavin Schmidt, director of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies based in New York, we crossed over into the more than 2 degree Fahrenheit warming temperature in 2015, and we are unlikely to go back. This shows that what's happening is persistent, not a fluke due to some weather phenomenon. We know that the long-term trends are being driven by the increasing levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Based on climate models and statistics based on global temperature data, the conclusion is clear. The increase is mostly driven by increased emission of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, primarily produced by human activity. Scientists the world over agree with this assessment. The Luddites, unfortunately, currently control our local legislature and the Senate in Washington, led by our own senior senator. Then there are those members making up the minority of the House. I have corresponded with our senior senator on just this issue in the past, and the letter I received back, more likely from his staff than him, but just a guess, indicates doubt in the human-based cause of climate change, but more importantly, he doesn't want to do anything that would endanger the economy. This would be the same economy that our president and his enablers claim is so robust. One would conclude that if it was so robust, taking strong positive actions to curb and even reduce carbon emissions would do it no harm. But if our senator is correct, then the economy is really smoke and mirrors and quite fragile. Yet, some of those who stand to be harmed by further outcomes of this further temperature increases, farmers out in the state, stand by this party because, well, I don't know. I can't imagine any intelligent individual voting against their own interests. Yet, that is exactly what is going on out in the state of Kentucky and in other areas around the country as well. No justification, just stick their heads in the sand and ignore reality because those they voted for told them to do so. Maybe they don't see a problem if they put blinders on. Or maybe they don't care about other Americans or other peoples around the world. Maybe they don't care about the result of another NASA study in conjunction with the European Space Agency, finding that increased temperatures have increased the melting of ice sheets in Greenland. The result of this increased melting is a rise in sea levels projected to reach 3 to 5 inches by the end of the current century. According to the lead author of the study, as a rule of thumb, for every centimeter rise of global sea level, that is about four-tenths of an inch for those not well-versed in the metric system, another six million people are exposed to coastal flooding around the planet. On current trends, Greenland's ice melting will cause 100 million people to be flooded each year by the end of the century, so 400 million in total 
due to sea level rise. Weather experts warn that such increases not only will allow storm surges and high tides to bring flooding to many regions, but will also increase the likelihood and strength of hurricanes. But those living in the rural areas don't see this as a threat, not their problem. They stick their heads in the sand and ignore reality, voting as they are told and not with facts and knowledge. It is said that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. It would seem that these folks are the fiddlers to the play out of the destruction of our world and our country. And let's be clear, we can destroy this world, that is, make it so we can't live here anymore. If our species passes away because of our stubbornness and ignorance, the world itself will continue to orbit around the sun. It is we that should care and should be the stewards of this world we fortunately live on. Because, in the end, the rest of the universe doesn't care if we exist or not. It's our concern alone. Bench Talk, the week in science, will be on again next week. See you then.